Hey, what's going on, everybody? And welcome to Listen Money Matters. Don't ask, you don't get. My name's Thomas, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Andrew. Andrew, how are you? And are you still nursing that same beer from an hour slash one week ago because we're time travelers? That's how podcasting works. You know, we, we were so quick to, to go to the next episode slash we took, like, so freaking long to do the last episode that uh, I, I, know. I haven't gotten up, and I'm sweating profusely, so... <laughs> Let me just take a sip of this beer real quick. I'm all out of tea. Mm. We had like 30 seconds break between episodes, so I have nothing to drink. I'm going to do a palate okay, cleanse though. with my pina frase. Mm-hmm. Pina frase. Because mm. this is the classiest personal finance podcast, and we only drink the classiest bubbly water flavors. Mm. That was very refreshing. <laughs> Anyway, we got to cut right to the chase in this week's episode because, hey, you've got stuff to do. <laughs> and so do I, including applying for an apartment. I'm very yeah, excited bro. about that. And I have to tell them how much my cat weighs, apparently. <laughs> 1,500 pounds. <laughs> I have a Bengal tiger. I hope you guys are okay with that. <laughs> so, yeah, we've got five questions today. If you've got five questions or one question or 16 questions, however many, you can email them to us over at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com and uh, Andrew will get your email, possibly reply. We've got some other smart people who reply to emails apparently. And if I don't if I don't answer for a month, I apologize in advance. But but hey, I still answered, right? Because he's like, I don't know, walking around all sweaty in Africa or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if you get a reply to an email in the last two weeks of January – um, it came from Africa. Yep. With your, and you're wearing your, your mosquito netting jacket. Mm. There's literally nothing but net. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good brand name for that. I hope it's called nothing. But oh net my God. That is a really good name. I know. Right. I could sell anything. <laughs> Mark for the century. Anyway. Uh, also catchphrases. We need them and we think you have them. So send us your catchphrases. If you want them read at the beginning of the show. You can send them to our email or over on Twitter at Money Matters Man, and we will get them into the show intros. So let's jump right in. Wait, the first this, question. This, oh, this catchphrase is from Kate. Oh, yeah, that's right. She came you, out Kate. to our meetup, and she's awesome. So thanks, Boom. Kate. It's actually it's, – it's her dad always said it, and she's like, my dad always says it. So Hell yeah, dude. And so, I agree 100%. So you thank know? you, Kate and Kate's dad. If you don't ask, you don't get. Damn right. Yeah. We were at Disney World or no Disneyland uh, a couple of years ago, and like Anna really wanted a specific kind of food, mm. and I, it wasn't on the menu. And I was just like, just ask them; they probably have some mac and cheese back there. Just ask them. <laughs> and we asked, and guess what? They did. You know what? And in a more recent example, the apartment I want, uh, the move-in date like that I wanted wasn't available, so I just called them up and I was like, Hey, can I get my move-in date that I want? for the same price as the earlier moving dates you guys have listed. And they're like, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> you know, I feel like half the time, like the, the things you want are one like work position removed from the person you're talking to. Mm. Like the employee you're talking to can't do it. But if they go and ask the manager, the manager's like, oh yeah, that person doesn't look like a crack addict who's going to steal our stuff. Sure. You know, <laughs> they can have whatever they want. <laughs> Anyway, first question. Uh, I don't know who this is from, but 
The question is, I just started listening to the podcast recently and I'm enjoying the wide range of topics. So you guys may have covered this and I haven't gotten to that episode uh, yet. But if not, my biggest issue is prioritizing my debt payment, which we have uh, covered that in general. But I like this question because it's a little bit of a different angle. I think it's more my mindset that I need to adjust rather than a specific strategy. I know what I need to pay down first but I'm just hesitant to spend my extra money towards that debt. It feels better and more secure just to keep holding on to it. So yes, can we tinker with this person's mindset hmm. through the airwaves? Well, um, <clears throat> it is likely that your debt uh, is fixed or if it's a credit card, it's super high It's and it's actually still fixed, mostly mm-hmm. fixed. Uh, so the chance, but the problem is, if you were to put it in an investment, your rate of return is variable. So one year you're going to get eight percent, another year maybe you'll get twenty percent, and then the next year you're going to get minus ten percent, zero percent. But you still have to make the same payments on your debt. So, yeah. um, I feel like he's just holding on to it in a savings account. Well, that's you know? just, that's just against my religion. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we have always said it's a good idea to get up to where you have like three times your monthly expenses in your checking account plus a good emergency fund. And I mean, if you have that, I mean, how much more secure do you need to feel? Yeah. Here's something. Here's a thought experiment that I go through sometimes. I ask myself because I mean, I have a little bit of debt now, you know, mm. but say I paid that debt off and I was debt free. I ask myself, how much money did I make when I was a student? Mm. It was like a Less than a thousand bucks a month. Did I survive? Yes, I did. So clearly I make way more money now than I did back then. And because humans have a loss aversion, a uh, disproportionate fear of loss that outweighs the pleasure they would get from gaining something, we look at what we have now and we think if any of this went away, I'd be out on the street. I would be eating my own beard hair for breakfast. Everything (laughs) would just go to shit. It would be, I can't do it. Can't even think about it. Just going to go watch Netflix. But here's the thing. You were alive back when you were making less money. You did, you did fine. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. like when, when you get into a specific challenge, you take action. You creatively figure out how to solve the problem. Uh, I was actually sitting in a webinar the other day. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a customer of this company called ConvertKit. They're who I'm going to basically run my email through. And this other guy was like doing this webinar and uh, he's talking about this software he's selling basically that helps you increase your sales. Um, and I was mildly curious about the software itself, but I was also very curious to see like what are the psychological tactics he uses to sell people on whatever he's selling in the webinar? Like how does he run this webinar as a salesman? I was just interested. Um, but one thing he mentioned is that the fear of loss creates action or actual loss creates action. Mm. And I've been in this situation myself where maybe one of my income sources as a business owner is doing fine month over month. I have very little incentive to really try to improve that, you know, other than wanting to gain more. So I won't say very little incentive, but there is a fixed amount of incentive to improve whatever creates money through that channel. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. But the, like the moment there's a month where it's like, Oh, you made 25% less through this income channel this month than you did last month. My brain's like instantly, what the heck? 
I got to fix this right now. So if you find yourself in a situation, you know, where you are physically and creatively capable of overcoming a challenge, your brain's going to force itself into the mode to do that. Mm. Now, this isn't me saying be super cavalier and literally pay all of your money down in your debt. I had a friend who was asking me, I've got $10,000 to my name uh, and my car loan is $10,000. Maybe I should just pay the entire thing off. Like, no, that's dumb. Mm. You know, there's a difference between being cavalier and wasting all of your resources and then literally, literally like holding on by a a, a thread and having a reasonable amount of resources that give you some flexibility to solve problems uh, if they come up and they probably won't, but if they do and hoarding your money and being afraid. Hmm. So depending on what your debt is, depending on the nature of it, depending on the interest rate, you know, get yourself to that position where you have some options. You can take a punch and then use the excess to get rid of that debt. Don't be beholden to if that's your Yeah, if that's your value, you know? Hmm. It depends. You know, like you've got mortgage debt for hmm. your rental properties, but it's making you money. So obviously in, in the last episode we talked about, we were ostensibly talking about refinancing, but I think we actually talked about the philosophy of what debt to keep and what not the, to the keep. Truth, the truth of life or something. Yeah, but don't don't be afraid. Um, actually, I think I think being a gamer helps you with this mindset because often I think it's easy to view money as like a score mm. or a life bar. Like a, a removed but resource. It's, but it's better to view money as a resource mm. that you that you need to spend to get yourself places instead mm. of like a life bar. So it's like you lose money. You're like, ouch, you know, I got punched by E Honda with his thousand fist slap or whatever. <laughs> or yeah, whatever. Uh, no, it's like, you know, I'm using this resource. Sure, my resource pool has gone down, but I've done something with it. It is getting me somewhere. You know, I spend wood and I spend stone to get a granary. And then I could put some of my people on the granary because Age of Empires 2 resources or references are great, right? That that E Honda reference was so quick and so on point. I was very impressed. <laughs> At first I was like, E Honda. And then I was like, what? You're referencing? Yeah. Street Fighter 2, man. Yeah. I, I, great game. So anyway, I, I think we've covered that question. Mm. Nail in the coffin. We, All right, next as question. I point to you, cover the shit out of that question. <laughs> just like yelling at you through the mic. <laughs> no, thank you. All I'm right. just going to lean back and chill. Yeah. Uh, next question is a bit of a long one, but I think it's a very good one. I know you kind of went like balls to the wall with a response and email, so I'm curious to, to know your philosophy on this. Uh, it's a cool question. So here it is, and this comes from Brett. Uh, he says, I thought it might be interesting to get some advice and, or hear your thoughts on financial planning for yum, uh, yum, <laughs> young <laughs> High net income earners in up or out industries. And I had to Google what that term meant. So an up and out or up or out industry basically means you're in an industry where you are steadily getting promoted and moving up the ranks or you're out. Mm. There's not really an option to stay where you are and stagnate. So corporate lawyers, military, stuff like that. Uh, And actually, I just learned this. Apparently in the military, if you're an officer and you're passed over for promotion twice, you have to be kicked out of the military. Like really? you have to be steadily progressing. Yeah. Wow. A lot of debate on whether or not it's a good thing to do. But anyway, regardless, uh, he says, personally, I'm a corporate associate at a large law firm, the kind where people stay for a few years and then either lateral out to smaller firms or they go all in and try to make partner. The starting salary for first years now, get this, is $180,000. That's my resting salary. <laughs> <laughs> With roughly 
a 5.5% salary increase per year of seniority. He goes on. We also have a sizable market bonus, though not as great as our friends in the banking and finance industry. Additionally, our firm partners with a bank to refinance student loans at a measly interest rate of 1.95%, which we all view as an incredible benefit to, to pay down law school debt. I am, luckily, at a manageable student debt amount of $40,000, so not bad. Uh, and that refinancing benefit stays with me even after I leave the firm if I decide to do so. What I struggle with is how to balance payment of student loans and investments when my financial picture may eventually be the inverse of most people's pictures. Because if I leave big law, my salary will actually go down as I get older, whereas most people are going to see a steady pay increase over their years of work. I also understand the concept of my investment performance outpacing that 1.95 interest rate, but I don't want to be saddled with large monthly payments if my associate salary takes a hit due to moving to a smaller firm. Uh, and I also currently save about 25% of my income, maxing the 401k out with no employer match. Uh, but that's a topic for another day. And I've also got a Vanguard brokerage account firm or brokerage account that I set up to mirror Betterment's investing strategy. So basically I'm putting 2000 a month aside for student loans, which is uh, 1225 1, for the actual payment and an additional principal of 775 so I guess the question is, so I want to make sure. It. Yeah, he's killing it. Sounds like it's awesome. So his question is, I want to make sure I'm maximizing my savings to debt reduction ratio while I'm young and I'm earning a big loss salary. Uh, and I want to make sure I'm attacking these two financial areas with the right tactics. So, yeah, interesting question, lengthy question. But I found it pretty interesting that he's in a situation where he can actually extrapolate and see, you know, predict that his income would lower over the years if he didn't stay in big mm -hmm. law. Um, I would challenge that. I would challenge the assumption that your income will go down if you do not follow one specific path. Mm. But uh, I'm also not a lawyer. I was going to so say, I, when, I don't, I don't when know your income what, is so high, you know, uh, it's hard to get it higher and maintain yeah. that height. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it makes sense. So, I mean, you wrote a ton and I, I basically talked your ear off for the last one. So what are your thoughts? I mean, uh, do you think just, you should just just keep this tiny little interest rate, you know, pay the minimum and just be shoving tons of investments in there. Yes. I mean, that's my <laughs> thought. That's, the, the, that's my thought. You know, $40,000, uh, at a 1.95 interest rate. I don't know what the payment turn is, but so it's if you were listening to last episode, amount. if you're listening to last episode, that is slightly below inflation. Yeah. It's, it's so, tiny. so if you just let it ride and pay the minimums, uh, your debt's actually reducing itself. Yeah. You know, assuming that you don't get fired tomorrow mm. and assuming you're making, I don't know what I'm making in the market right now, 7%. We say that's the average. It's 5% on every dollar that you invest instead of paying off your student loans. But, um, you know? so, so Laura and I have about 66,000 in rental properties that, uh, okay. After all expenses, brings us just shy of fifteen hundred a month. So he could get fifteen hundred a month through investments, not counting the mortgage payment and the appreciation, all that stuff. Or he could just get himself out of debt. You know, and I, I bet the fifteen hundred would be far and away covering of the payment for um his student loan. Yeah, right. So yeah, like. True. And I mean, they would cover a student loan at the rates that we're all used to, like four, five percent at one point nine five percent. Like, holy shit! 
I yeah, would not I mean, that. I guess I would I would use the money I'm making now to build as sizable of an investment base as I could, especially at that that low interest rate on those student loans. The you know, that, that's like the straight math, at least the logical thing to do. Yeah. I mean, the only interest rate I've ever seen lower than one point nine five percent is what you get for a savings account, which is even worse or, or yeah. better. But that's not debt interest rate. No, I know. I mean, like all interest rates on those kind of things are lower. But it's like a bank yeah, goes the cheapest debt and they're seen. like, we're going to give you 1.15%. You're like, uh, no, I'm not doing that. You know? Yeah. It, yeah. So you should feel the same way. Cool. I mean, do you think it's just that simple? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I think just yeah. hashtag math. Yeah. I, I guess like the only caveat, because I'm Mr. Caveat, is if, if you predict that you're going to leave big law, big law, and go to small law really, really soon, uh, if you can predict what the salary decrease is going to be, then you can see, like, am I still able to pay off my student loans with that? You know? Opportunity cost, dude. Like, what could you do with 40K? And can you earn more than 1.95% over, yeah. like, say, a 10-year timeline? It makes sense to me. So, cool. Hopefully that's a good answer for you, Brett. Uh, we're going to move on to the next question. Yeah. Let's do it. And this one is from Phil. So, guys, quick question for you. This summer, I will be getting about a $500 raise at work. Also, my wife will be starting her own business at the start of the new year. We are currently debt-free except for our mortgage. Now, I was planning on taking my raise and whatever my wife makes on her business, and we have no problem living on my paycheck alone, and putting it towards a down payment on our first rental. Or do I put it towards the house mortgage? If I take my $500 and ballpark $1,000 a month for the wife's business, we'd reduce our 30-year mortgage down to nine years and save about $152,000 on mortgage interest. Then we could really save for some rentals. I'm leaning towards paying off the mortgage at this point. Thoughts? Uh, I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> you're like, I think God, you're going to say, you're such invest. a broken record. <laughs> but no, seriously, did we ever publish the episode where we talked about uh, why like the HELOC strategy and early mortgage payoff is actually bad in the long run? Okay, so I feel um, like we actually recorded somebody, something w- somebody I, I don't was know if asking we ever got about it that. And, you know, it's been in the comments and we've been beaten to death with emails, like literally to an inch of my life. Um, and uh, it, it is it, you. It actually is effective. Um, you, you will save money. But what only, is it? Uh, the HELOC strategy. It is actually effective, but you will save in the tens of dollars. Oh, OK. So, so, so you, I remember like sitting down and I spent like an afternoon trying to do the math on this. And I could, it, it was like very complex trying to get the math for early, like standard early mortgage payoff strategy versus the HELOC strategy to figure out what the difference was. But it was very small. But what I was texting you about was if you don't pay off your mortgage early at all mm-hmm. and you're just putting money into the market, mm-hmm. then you make way more in the long run. Yes. Than if you pay off your mortgage early, so and it's really tempting to look at that hundred fifty-two thousand dollars saved in mortgage interest and be like, "Woo, that's pretty good." Um, but what are you losing hmm. in terms of potential profit in the market over the year, over the years, in terms and of nine compounding years interest. is a long time to be sitting, you know, yeah, extra time compounding interest in the market or extra time being able to acquire 
maybe several different rental properties. By the time you pay off that mortgage, who knows how many properties you have that are cash flowing. Hmm. So obviously with the rentals, I'm not the expert. Andrew knows a lot more about rentals than I do, but you can sit down, you can do the math, you can use our tool and you can see like if we keep paying off our interest and I keep using this money to save for rental or even to invest it, whatever, you can do the math. I'll tell you what, dude, I'm going to keep referencing our last episode to uh, potentially increase the value (laughs) of that discussion. (laughs) Like (laughs) just apply it everywhere. Uh, If if you took took your, your mortgage that uh <laughs> ready ready what word am i going to use invest <laughs> inflation inflation over inflation if you have a fixed rate your mortgage gets cheaper over time it's worth less however your property appreciates over time you know and you have tenants paying it down i think like it's it's already going in the right direction you obviously have to Listen to our episodes on that. I want to go deep into. <laughs> I just wonder this way. Andrew Fiebert is not paying down his mortgage faster. No. He's buying rentals. Yeah. So, so if you if you want to uh, if you believe that Andrew Fiebert makes a decision personally that is good for him, that that's what it is. To to put it in perspective, uh, if we if at, at the return that we're getting. Uh, we need roughly seven properties to cover our mortgage of $3,200 a month. Which is um, freaking insane. Which is insane. <laughs> but but then we'll be property neutral. And yeah. I, don't, I don't care how much debt is behind there. It all covers itself. And there are people building equity in these properties. And I'll move on to do something more interesting. Yeah. All right. Next question. Question number four. And this is from... Demetrius, Demetrius, is that a name? Is that how you pronounce it? I, f- I feel like it's like some I believe a Greek a philosopher. Ah, nice. Is Demosthenes it? has come forward two thousand years in the future <laughs> to ask us some questions. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> on one of the one of the College Info Geek podcast episodes, we did a uh, famous philosophers because we take all our questions from Reddit, and mm. I don't want to name, I don't want to like say people's names on Reddit because they're sometimes weird or just unpronounceable. So we just say that the questions are from like, Oh, this question's from Frederick Nietzsche. And this question is <laughs> from Plato. <laughs> like, <laughs> Confucius. It's great. Uh, yeah. Anyway, this question is my girlfriend has about $8,000 in credit card debt, along with a hundred thousand dollars of student loan debt from undergrad and grad school. What route should be taken to get rid of the eight K lending club transferred to their credit card? And what should be done about the hundred thousand dollars student loans because their payments are income based and are almost a thousand dollars a month because of this. Mm. Uh, I mean, we, I feel like we answered this question in several different episodes, areas, you know, obviously the credit card debt is going to be the highest interest. So refinance the shit out of that. Mm. If you can. Um, and, and we'll throw a link to the nerd wall thing in there. They're, they're going to love us like two links to their, like, most, yeah, most monetized page on their site, but Damn. I mean, it's a really, it's a really good tool. It basically tool. pulls in all of the personal debt things and ranks them based on interest rates, your credit yeah. score, and look, maybe Lending Club, maybe SoFi. It sounds like she actually might get a way better deal at SoFi because uh, she makes a lot. I mean, if her based on her income, oh, yeah. it's going to be a thousand and possibly more. Um, she's probably yeah, I mean, good. it's it's possible that, and I don't really, I don't know how this works exactly, but 
you know, maybe if your income is super high, but your credit score isn't amazing, like maybe your options for student loan refinancing are actually better than the credit card debt. Either way, uh, stack method, reduce those interest late rates as much as you can and then pay off the highest ones mm. and go from there. Godspeed to you. Mm. Last question. Uh, I don't know who this is from. But the question is, how do you know when it's the right time to apply for additional credit cards? My credit isn't terrible, but it's also not stellar. I've got 100% on-time payments and one low-limit credit card, but I also have one medical bill in collections, which I'm currently disputing. I wanted to increase my available credit to lower my utilization, and I tried calling Chase to ask for a limit increase, but they said they'd have to run my credit to determine if I was eligible for an increase, so I balked. I figure if I have to get my credit run regardless, it's better to get a new card to increase the number of open accounts that I have, increase my number of on-time payments, and increase my credit limit. I don't know if I should apply for a new card now or wait until the results of the collection dispute are available to possibly increase my likelihood of getting approved for the new card. So what so, is your suggestion? If you if you go to like credit.com or, or Credit Karma, one of the things, uh, they, they give you like a letter score, like A, B, C, D, F, whatever. And, and on every aspect of your credit score. And one of the ones they do is on the number of accounts. Mm-hmm. And do you know how many accounts you have to have open to get an A? I don't know, like 11 billion? <laughs> I, tw- I mean, close. It's like, it's 20 or more, which I thought was like insane. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, you, you probably, and, and also like when you talk to, so um, I've had the joy of calling up credit card companies asking for increases in credit <laughs> yeah. and stuff. And what they say um, and because they're, they're like, they're like, no, we won't do it. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean you won't do it? But this, that, the other reason, whatever, we won't do it. And the reason is because if other banks aren't doing it, like if all of your, um, your limits are five hundred dollars, no bank wants to make your limit five thousand dollars because no one else is doing it. So yeah. you gotta like have a bunch, and then like go across them and increase the limits, like and and kind of build it up. Um. And honestly, like one one of the big pieces of your score is like the the length of time you've had, uh, a, and the average length of time an account has been open. And so, if yep. you're in open accounts, you're gonna drop that number. Might as well start now. Just open a bunch, drop it. I guess the thing I don't know is uh, if you currently have like a a thing in dispute, is that gonna lower the probability that uh, they're gonna accept you for a new credit card? You know, like, is that going to be, it's not going to be a derogatory mark. Uh, and I don't even know if it's going to be on like, I don't even know if it's going to show up and whatever they pull, Look, but you're not going to get I an don't. American express platinum. Um, but if you go to old Navy, you'll probably be able to get the old Navy card and, you know, or like a Macy's card. And you know, there's obviously better ones than those, but you can I guess always, here's the thing. Mm. Here's the thing. Uh, your, your ability to get a credit card is. Uh, I had to think about this for a second. Your ability to get a credit card is due in part to your uh, income to debt ratio, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a medical bill that is in collections and you're disputing it and you think there is a there's a likelihood that you could get rid of that medical bill, that's going to lower your debt to your income ratio, thus increasing the likelihood you're going to get accepted for a card. So, you know, there's going to be a credit inquiry. I mean, to, you know, to, to put this in perspective, credit inquiries are a low impact thing on your credit score. Mm. So it's not like you're going to destroy your score if you apply for a credit card and you get rejected. But if you think you can get that, that medical bill, uh, actually erased or whatever, 
then your ratio is going to be affected in a positive way and you're going to have a better chance of getting that card. So I would say maybe just try to wait until that thing is taken care of and you know what the outcome is. Hmm. That's my two cents on it. You're, you're, you've become a very good uh, yin to my yang. <laughs> I, I feel like there was like we're like diverging, but I, but I absolutely agree with you. I mean, personally, I'd just be like, fuck it. I'm going to go apply for another credit card. Yeah, but, but but that's my that's my mentality. It's just kind of like a hot and fast and loose or whatever. I try to put myself in other people's shoes and situations. You know, mm. I don't make as much money as you, but uh, I make enough that it's like I can be cavalier about certain things. Mm. And you know, I was having a discussion with Anna the other day, and so like uh, to give you an example, I am flying to Atlanta in a few weeks to talk at a conference Mm -hmm. and I, they, they're comping my ticket, but I'm paying for my own airfare and I'm paying for my own hotel, Mm -hmm. you know? And for me as a person that has discretionary income, uh, it makes sense to do that because I view it as an investment. Uh, I don't view it as an investment in in the same sense of like, Oh, I'm putting money in the market and I can get a certain return, but it's like, okay, you'll meet people that will help with your business. I'm going to meet people. There's a very high likelihood that I could potentially work with those people in the future. There's people with even bigger YouTube audiences there than mine. Like I, you know, I have been incredibly, uh, lucky and benefit and benefited to have worked with and met other YouTubers who have helped me grow. You know, it's a big thing. So it's a, qualitative investment in my business. I'm not getting paid to do their, to go do the speech. I'm actually paying my own money to get out there, but I, I see it paying off in the long run. If not an actual dollar sign, I see like the potential for great things to happen. It's actually one of the uh, things you're extremely good at is just knowing people and like collaborating with people. Mm. You're pretty, pretty prolific, which is ridiculous, but, but sorry, go on. So, uh, you know, I was talking about this to Anna and mm. she was like, she she couldn't fathom that I would go out there and not get paid to speak. She's like, you're not you're not paying for your airfare. They're not paying for your hotel, and they're not even paying you. Well, I'll tell you because you, you you had mentioned it to us, and and I actually thought the same thing. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I you know I see it as a certain thing, and mm-hmm. you know we were having this discussion. Uh, and number one, and she went to design school. So in design school, they they drill you like, don't do free work, mm. get paid for your work. You know, to a degree, I agree with that. And um, if there's anyone who gets taken advantage of, I, th- I feel like it's designers or people that live in it that totally space. Is. They want to pay you an exposure. Yeah. I, oh know. my God. There are so they're like great comics on. Um, anyways, go on. I'm like the oatmeal and stuff. Can I pay for this hot dog with these exposure bucks? <laughs> no. Anyway, so it means she's in that situation, but she's also. Uh, you know, she's my girlfriend. We like, we share certain finances, Mm. but not, we're not like totally integrated. So she's still kind of independent with how she manages her money. And like with her particular situation, she doesn't have the money to just be like, I'm going to spend a few hundred dollars on a plane ticket and another few hundred dollars on a hotel to go out and do something that may be a long-term investment. So I'm just having a girlfriend in a different financial situation, having friends in different financial situations and people I know through my work, people in my audience. Uh, I try very hard to think what assumptions does my level of, I can do whatever the hell with I want of it money. What assumptions does that allow me to make? And can I still apply those same assumptions to somebody who, uh, you know, the, the vast percentage of their income is going towards needed expenses, mm. you know, 
a lot of people don't have the money to make a big investment like that, especially if they don't see a hard return. Um, so I think that's why I'm a little more cautious than you, or I'm a little more uh, prone to giving a caveat or looking at things from a different angle than you are. Cause yeah, in a lot of situations, personally, I would go do the thing you would do. You know, I'd be like, screw it. I'm going to apply for that credit card. I don't care. So whatever, I, I, but I, I, I want to give the opposite side of the coin too. Thomas, I, I completely agree with you 150%, but I, I also think that a lot of the results of, of efforts that, that just people in general do, um, and, and the decisions they make is based on like the lenses they wear when they look yeah. at like life options. And yeah. I guess, um, I, I don't think that we're like thumb, thumb up with our nose, like fancy or whatever. But I think that if you could view things, not with like a restrictive mindset, but like a what's possible mindset or, yeah. or how may someone, uh, with unlimited resources approach this problem, perhaps if like yeah, you yeah. took, right? Because if you felt your max was X, that's like your max. No, I 100% agree with you. In terms of overall philosophy, I think, you know, thinking about what's possible instead of what's needed, thinking bigger, absolutely. You know, it just when, when we look at certain cases mm. where like in your case, uh, applying for a credit card with a medical bill and collections would mean that your income to debt ratio is like 20 to one instead of 25 to one or something like mm. obviously they're going to give you that credit card. But for somebody where it's like, oh, your income to debt is actually one to one versus, you know, you get that medical bill raised. Now it's like four to one. Mm. That is a very concrete case in which it True. may be more strategic to just wait because if you if you think you can get that erased, like clearly you have a better chance of getting a new card and trying now. The age of your account difference between trying now and trying when that bill gets taken care of, it's like, I don't know, a couple of months at most. Mm. That's not going to make a big difference. And actually, okay, so. So, so I will agree with you uh, with a thought that in most things in life, I believe the best decision is just not decide, like just doing nothing. Like, wait, 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 what? So you think so, the best decision is doing nothing? Like, so, okay, should I apply this credit card or, you know, this, that, whatever? Actually, just, just don't do anything right now and just sit, right? Or, you're, you know, you're, uh, say you're, you're working somewhere and like your boss is just super dick to you. Right. And, and and like in the moment, he's like, Thomas, you are the smallest, stupidest, ugliest person I've ever met. And your work sucks. And you could you could walk out and leave right there. But then you're at a disadvantage. So if you just decide to do nothing and be strategic and then find a job and leave because you have another job. Like, so I guess in many cases in life, I feel like the best thing I've ever done is nothing. Okay, I guess, I guess. Okay, maybe. May, okay, maybe it's better to say to instead broadly of broadly apply that. No, like so. If like, you just sit on your couch and do nothing, decision to make is actually to not invest. Uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> no, but no, I understand. I, I, like, I think it's knee jerk reactions. I guess, so what, what you're saying. saying is, don't let your emotions mm. lead you to make a brash decision. 
like in the heat of the moment. Yes. Step back and analyze them with some logic and get a little bit of distance so the emotional side can kind of calm down a bit. Yeah. So so you know? in this this thing, yeah. this this scenario, you are unsure if you should wait or do it. Like the the the, wait, the cost of waiting is nothing. And yeah, it may absolutely. and it may actually work out like you were suggesting. Yeah, I'd say wait. Mm. <laughs> All right, let's close this shit down. This is daily yo. dose of unnecessary philosophy brought to you by uh, <laughs> by us, actually, and my lack of tea. I just keep talking because I have nothing to drink. Anyway. Should have taken some lacrosse with you. That is it for this episode. So hopefully you enjoyed it. If you've got questions of your own, listenmoneymatters at gmail.com is where you can email them. You can also tweet us quick questions over at, at moneymattersman on Twitter, however you choose to get them to us. Uh, if they're good, they may end up on future five questions episodes of this show, or they may end up being entire episodes all their own. You can also find our collection of our favorite resources, including apps that can help you to balance your budget, pay off your debt faster, invest more intelligently, and also books that will grow your brain. Uh, hopefully not so much that it explodes out of your head, but hey, <laughs> we are not responsible if that happens. All that's over at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. So check it out if you're looking for a new resource to up your financial game. And that is all we've got for this episode. So until next week, we will see you later. Later, man. Please tell your friends about this show. <laughs>